as we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6. We're going to be considering particularly uh, today, uh, verse 18, and next week look at 19 and 20. Um, Over the past few weeks, we have been uh, considering this section of Paul's letter to the church. We've been reminded that there is a a war going on around us in which every one of us at some point in time are faced with skirmishes, with battles in the midst of that war that ultimately has been won through the victory of Christ over this life and the cross. The battle that we are in is not one that we have the ability to win in and of ourselves because our opposition, Paul says here, is not human. We may be faced with what we think are human enemies. But the real trouble comes in those spiritual battles in heavenly places. The opposition here is described as powers, as principalities, the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And since our opposition isn't ultimately human, but it is spiritual, God gives us and supplies for us spiritual protection in order that we might engage in this spiritual battle. So God supplies for us the armor of God. This armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes prepared with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of truth, which is the word of God. All of these that are mentioned are defensive weapons, all but one, which is defensive and offensive, and that is the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. It is that word that has to be, as I reminded us last week, massaged into every part of us. It has to be our first line of defense in our own lives and in this world around us. It has to be our default, the Word of God, our only rule for faith and practice, for it is that Word that is living and breathing and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It is that word that we turn to here today as Paul reminds us, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert. With all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, Paul says, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The grass withers, flowers fade, and the flowers fall. But the words of our Lord God stand and endure forever. Heavenly Father, we do pray that we would hear your voice this morning through the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who speaks truth to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. See, the Apostle Paul is reminding us of two very simple things. That we, as God's people, are people of the Word, and we are and ought to be people of prayer. These two very simple things, he says, if we are going to stand in the battles that we are confronted with from day to day within this fallen world, then we must be people of the Word. And we must be people of prayer. Any soldier who goes into battle is prepared for that battle with his battle gear. And as Christians, we too, going into battle, are given this spiritual armor. Because we are engaged in battles and fights against the enemy. And yet, as we've already admitted several times over the past few weeks, one of the challenges for us today is that sometimes we don't, I fear, fully realize the fight that we are in, the battle that is facing us. Called as soldiers of Christ, enlisted into our Lord's army. God gives us His armor and tells us that we must put on His armor and stand firm against the enemy. Not in our own strength, but in the power of His strength. The strength and power of His Word. The strength that comes from feeding on the Word of God. 
How do we have energy every day to do the things that we need to do? Well, we eat, don't we? We take in nourishment in order to fortify our bodies to do what we need to do. Well, you know, it is really no different for us as warriors in the Lord's army. Jesus said to his disciples these words. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That is where we find our nourishment, our spiritual nourishment, as we grow in knowledge and in grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We feed upon His Word. And oh, how I look forward to that day when we will be able to participate at the Lord's table once again and feed spiritually upon the living Word. It is this Word of God that calls us to faith. It's this Word of God that calls us into His army. It's this Word that calls us into battle. It's that very Word that equips us. It's this Word that gives us our marching orders. We were reminded last week about God's call to the world and particularly to His people. God's message goes out into all the world, but we know that not all the world is going to respond favorably to that message. That general call goes out, even as we're doing here this morning. But that effectual call, as Matthew reminded us last week, moved by the power and the might of the Holy Spirit to receive that word as truth, is a gift of God's grace. Abraham, a pagan saved by God's grace, was called out of a pagan nation, Ur of the the Chaldees, deepest Iraq. He was called by what? The Word of God. To go into a place that he did not know, into a land that was foreign to him. The prophets... People just like you and me were called by God's Word. Empowered by that Word. To speak that Word of God to His people. Our Lord Jesus, the living Word, came and walked among the children of Israel. The people of God. People who had failed to heed the message of the prophets. And the law. And what does Jesus do? He speaks. And people respond. Through faith and repentance. See it's that word. That living word. That calls us into discipleship. And ministry. Calls us into salvation. Calls us into service. Calls us to do the very will of God. Many are called, Paul says in Romans, but few are chosen. Everyone who hears, truly hears that effectual call, understands that faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from where? The Word of God. 
primary means of grace that God has given to us. It's the word of God that calls us into salvation to God, to Christ, into the gospel. It's the preaching of the word. And the reformers said the preaching of the word is the very word of God. And that, for anyone who stands in a pulpit, this pulpit or any pulpit anywhere in the world, that, when you truly take it to heart, is an awesome and a humbling task. Preaching the very word of God. It's the word of God that builds us up, that equips us to do his will and his work. As the apostle has made it clear in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says all scripture, all scripture is God breathed, inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the person, the, the people of God, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. See the word of God equips us, it corrects us, it instructs us, it challenges us, it rebukes us, it changes us by God's grace. It builds us up into what God intends for us to be in Jesus Christ, holy and righteous. It's the essential component of our Christian battle. This word against those principalities and powers of darkness waging war against us, even now from the heavenly realm. See, the only offensive weapon of the Christian is the sword of the Spirit. That sword which the Spirit gives. The Word of God. There is nothing that limits that expression. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the wisdom of God and the power of God. It has self-evidencing light. It commands itself to the reason and the conscience. It has the power not only of truth, but of divine truth. The truth for us is that God's word makes us wiser than our enemies for that word is ever mine. How do you make that word yours? You memorize it. You read it. You take it to heart. You meditate upon it. You write and scribble notes in your Bibles. So that that word becomes yours. That's true for us individually, but it's true for the church in general. That all the church's triumphs over sins through the errors and the counsels that have gone on over the centuries have been affected by the Word of God. And so long as the church takes that Word 
as what that word tells us it is, the very word of God and life and food to us, and relies upon it and it alone, the church will go on conquering. But when anything else takes priority in our lives and in the church, whether it be reason or science or tradition or the commandments and the proverbs of men. When anything else is allowed to take the place or share the priority of the Word of God, then individually and the church is at the mercy of the adversary. What is our primary, our only offensive, offensive weapon in the world that we live in, it is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You know, I've looked through many Bibles in preparation for funerals of people over 27, 28 years and can confidently say with a man who made this quotation here. Show me a Christian whose Bible is falling apart. And I'll show you a Christian who isn't. Now think about that for a minute. It is certainly true, but by God's grace, that that Christian is not falling apart. Sometimes our, our books, as some of mine on my shelf in my study, are certainly falling apart because of use over the years. But some of them have just aged and the bindings are falling apart. You see, if your Bible is falling apart, if the Word has been worked deep, massaged deeply into the core of your being, you're not going to fall apart in the day of trial and trouble and tribulation, but by God's grace, that word will be with you. Paul saying to us here, take up the sword of God so that you can take on by the power of His might the God of this world. If we're going to stand firm in the battles that we are confronted with, in this fallen world, then we have to be people of the world. But, remember I said there are two things that describe what's going on here. People of the Word and people of prayer. We have to be people of prayer. Paul says, look at verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You may have noticed, as I read through that, I emphasize the word all. Four times it's mentioned. Not only in the English, but that's a very true translation with the Greek. The all is emphasized for every one of those phrases and prayers and petitions. So as people of prayer, we must be watchfully disposed. We must be persistently determined. We must be directionally sanctified as we 
pray Godward for all the saints. Paul says, pray all kinds of prayers. At all times, go on praying. Or we could put it that way that uh, we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Pray with all prayers and petitions. All different kinds of prayers. All different sorts of petitions. There's an acronym I'd like to place before you. You may have heard this before. Something that can help us direct our prayers properly. And that acronym is ACTS. A-C-T-S. Adoration. Confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Paul leads us through these very things. In adoration, showing uh, deep love and respect for someone or something. Sometimes it's been said that the battle that we're faced with is often won or lost in our prayers before God. In the words of adoration, you see, we ought to stop and consider whose presence we are coming into. The mighty, powerful, just, holy, awesome, sovereign, wonderful, mighty God. I mean, words cannot adequately describe and define and delimit who He is. We cannot. But as we come into His presence with words of adoration, we are overwhelmed with who He is. Psalm 86 that we read as our call to worship, if you'll go back and look at that, it's a rather lengthy psalm. It's a psalm of supplication, a psalm of trust. One commentator that I read said that it was David resting his head on the pillow of God's sovereignty. And isn't that what adoration should be as we come into the presence of God, adoring Him for who He is? For what he has done. Which leads us into confession. We go to God confessing our sin. You know, it is a, a humbling thing and sometimes a, a frightening thing to stand here and speak with one that raised me. My mother. She might even learn some things that she didn't know. She listens closely. I remember a time when we were growing up. I had done something one time that I wasn't particularly proud of. Just one time. And one of my sisters, I don't remember specifically what it was, but I do remember doing something like this. One of my sisters said she was going to tell mom and dad. Well, I ended up beating her to the punch and went and confessed 
whatever this was, to her, to my mom and dad, so that they could hear it first from me. And what did that do? It took the, uh, the joy, if you will, of my sister away, that she was going to have something over me. But it took the sting out of what she was going to tell my mom and dad because I had already told them. Now, it didn't take away the sting of the punishment. (laughs) I do remember that. You see, Satan, the accuser, is going to come and say to you, you miserable sinner. You hypocrite. Why do you even try? Do this. Beat him to the punch. Not that my sister was... Satan. (laughs) Although, sometimes it seemed that way. And I'm sure sometimes it seemed that I was. So, uh, a little devil. Uh, When that happens, go into your Father's throne room of grace and beat the enemy to the punch. You have access to the throne of God. Go to Him and confess and say, Lord, You know it. But let me affirm in your mind, I am a miserable sinner. Saved by God's grace, by your grace, I deserve hell and damnation and punishment. But you've given me your Son. Your one and only Son, so that He died for me. He took this punishment for me. So God gives us something that I don't deserve. His grace. If we confess our sins, adoration and confession, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of our unrighteousness. There's adoration. There's confession. That leads to thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for so many things. Do you go to God with thanksgiving and praise? Or are your prayers mainly just grumbling and complaining? Of course, we can do that too. Because we're told to be anxious for nothing. And we are anxious for a lot. But in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, to let our request be made known to God, and something miraculous happens, the peace of God... That surpasses all understanding and comprehension will guard and guide our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So often, this thanksgiving in which we go into our our prayer time with thanksgiving and we remember how many prayers that God has answered. And that gives us hope. I've had people come to me with great trouble and difficulties and problems asking for my wisdom. And I give them the wisdom of the Word. I say, you want to take your mind off of those troubles and trials and difficulties? Go to the Lord and give Him thanks. For all the times that He's seen you through difficulties and trials and tribulations just like this. 
And that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard and guide and keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, we're told to pray without ceasing in everything. We often stop there in verse 17. And verse 18 says, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I know, often it is difficult when the weight of the world is poured down upon us, when we may have lost a dear loved one, it is difficult to do this. And it doesn't mean we give thanks for those things, but we give thanks to God for what He's doing for us, in us, through us, and despite us. For to Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So in the very act of thanking God, what happens? We become encouraged to go to Him again and again and again and to lift up our prayers of supplication. What is supplication? It's a big word for asking fervently, begging, pleading humbly for something for myself or for you, for something for yourself, or something for others. Don't forget to pray, Paul says, for one another. To lift up supplication, petitions for one another. There's a man by the name of Samuel Rutherford, a Scottish Presbyterian pastor, theologian and author, and one of the, the, the Scottish commissioner, commissioners to the Westminster Confession. It is said that he had found throughout his whole life that he never ran an errand to the throne of grace. That is, he never started to pray for someone else when he didn't fetch back a blessing for himself. Think about that. We go to pray for someone else and God pours out His blessing and peace that surpasses all understanding upon us. So the Apostle Paul here is saying, Christian, don't neglect any aspect of the arsenal of prayer. Pray with all kinds of prayers and keep on the alert. Take heed. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. Jesus said to the people that were around him. Jesus there is speaking of the end times. Ultimately of the time of his return. But he says this, watch and pray. He spoke to the disciples similar words in the Garden of Gethsemane that night of his betrayal when he said, Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that what we're meant to do? Pray without ceasing, pray with your eyes open. A wonderful book by uh, Dr. Richard Pratt, who was one of the professors at RTS many years ago and I think still teaches at one of the satellite uh, seminary campuses, wrote a book, Pray With Your Eyes Open. Be diligent 
observant in your prayers and adoration. Pray at all times. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I was reminded of him just this past week. Matthew's reading a, a book by him. He was a minister of the Westminster Chapel in London, England, for 30 years. Has been described as a man who lived a life of prayer, interrupted by seasons of prayer. Oh, that that would be description of each one of us. But the one urge that a Christian must never resist is the urge to prayer. Pray without ceasing. There are times when we've got to resist desserts, sodas, sweets, seconds pushed across the table. We've got to resist those temptations to sin, times when we ought to just say no. But the call to prayer is never one of those times. Pray fervently. Pray constantly. Pray without ceasing. Never resist the urge to prayer. Whenever the urge, the thought of prayer comes into your mind, what should you do? Stop and pray. And persevere in that prayer. Keep on praying. For with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petitions. Don't stop praying. During the first century, when the church was beginning to go into all the world, was beginning to spread and grow throughout the world, we hear in the book of Acts, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to what? To prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, they were praying without ceasing. Jesus himself says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. All of those statements, Ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened. All of those statements, those verbs are present imperatives. Now what does that mean? It means they are commands that we are continually to do. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on praying. Is this the way we pray? Do we pray like the stranger in uh, one of Jesus' parables in the New Testament who's knocking on the door and knocking and knocking and knocking and because of his persistence, his importunity, that is, persistence even to the point of annoyance, imagine being an annoyance to God. We pray that way without ceasing. Sometimes I think, we think it's enough to simply pray one time, God has heard it, He remembers it, I don't need to do it again. Pray without ceasing. God will answer our prayers. 
Might not be in our time, but in His time, which is perfect in accordance with His will. We are to have a watchful disposition, pray with our eyes open. We are to be persistently determined in our prayer, and our prayers are to have a sanctified focus as we pray for all the saints. Paul says here, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We pray. Pray then, Jesus said in this way, our Father. He didn't say my Father. And when we pray, what do we pray? We don't say my Father. We say our Father. And you know, in that little word, we are including everyone who is called by God's grace through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Jesus, in all of His teaching about prayer, impressed the importance of praying for others. And he showed it in his own life as he did pray for others. A miracle of the gospel that he is the one who came down. He is the one who died, who was buried, who rose, who ascended into, into heaven and gives us the ministry of reconciliation as he intercedes for us now at the righteous right hand of God. We must be people who are watchfully disposed to prayer, who are persistently determined in our prayers, and who have a sanctified direction to our prayers. Remember the old saying, prayer changes things? It does. It changes us. It changes us. It molds and shapes us as we pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that our prayers would be His prayer for us. There's nothing like prayer to knit our hearts and our desires to God together. And there's nothing like prayer to remind us of how dependent we are upon Him. Let me close this morning with something from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Morning and Evening. I'll read through this rather quickly, and if you happen to have that, you can find these words in his volume, Morning and Evening, on February 6th. What a multitude of prayers we have put up from the very first moment we learned to pray. Our very first prayer was a prayer for ourselves. We asked God that He would have mercy on us and blot out our sin. He heard us. But when He had blotted out our sin, we had some more prayers for ourselves. We had to pray for sanctifying grace, for constraining and restraining grace. We've been led to pray for a fresh assurance of faith, for a comfortable application of God's promises, for deliverances in the hour of temptation, for help in the time of duty, for aid in the day of trial. We've been compelled to go to God for our souls, 
as beggars asking for everything. Bear witness, children of God. You have never been able to get anything from your souls from anywhere else. All the bread of your soul, all the bread of your soul has eaten has come down from heaven. All the water which has drunk has flown from the living rock. Christ Jesus, the Lord, your soul has never grown rich in itself. It has always been a pensioner upon the daily bounty of God, and hence your prayers have ascended to heaven for a range of spiritual mercies all but infinite. Your needs are innumerable, and therefore the supplies have been infinitely great. Your prayers have been as varied as the mercies have been countless. Therefore, don't you have cause to say, I love the Lord because He has heard the voice of my supplication. For your prayers have been many, but so have been God's answers to them. He has heard in your day of trouble. He has strengthened you. He has helped you even when you dishonored Him by trembling and doubting at the mercy seat. Remember this and let it fill your heart with gratitude to God who has thus graciously heard your poor, weak prayers. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me. Bless His holy name. So we are reminded as we leave here today that we are to be people of prayer, people of the Word, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray without ceasing. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are our God, and we can confidently come to You in our time of need, in our day of distress, we can come to you praying, opening our hearts, our very soul to you, our Father and our God, through Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.